0: Hello, and welcome to Teaching Notes, the new podcast for the Music Teachers Association. My name is Patrick Johns. I'm a professional trombonist, a radio producer, and of course, a music teacher and member of the Music Teachers Association. In this episode, I'm very pleased to say that the world-famous violinist and music education champion Nicola Benedetti is here to tell us just why we music teachers are so crucial. And I'll meet one of her many outstanding colleagues, Elsa Bradley, who'll tell us about the work that she does as part of the Benedetti Foundation and the Benedetti Sessions. Plus, James Manwaring shares some invaluable tips on an area of Key Stage 4 and 5 that seems to be something of a hurdle for many. But we're going to start by meeting one of you, one of us, I dropped into the Kingston Academy in South West London to meet the Head of Music, Celia Carter. She told me about the challenges she'd faced when she'd run a single teacher department and some of her favourite schemes of work to teach.
1: Hello, my name is Celia Carter and I am Head of Music at the Kingston Academy in Kingston.
0: Great, thanks Celia. And could you tell us about your background as both a teacher and as a musician?
1: Yep, so this is my third year at TKA, as we fondly refer to it, Um, my 10th year in teaching I trained up in Manchester, having done a um, performance degree at the Royal Northern College of Music. My principal study instruments, the saxophone. Admittedly, that was a, a kind of a classical course, but my guilty pleasure is really jazz these days. absolutely love getting stuck into a bit of that, both from a personal angle and getting the kids involved in it as well. I've had placements all over the place, inner city Manchester. And my previous place was a Catholic comp in West London, which was much bigger than here. And we're now in our fifth year of operation here. So it's been about building a department from scratch.
0: And could you tell me a bit about the department? Like how many staff, the the extracurricular or co-curricular, depending on how you to describe it? (laughs) Good question.
1: We've got two members of staff, one and a half, because my second in department is spread across music and drama. Last year I was by myself, so I was kind of delivering schemes of work right up to key stage four. So year 10 onwards by myself, which was a real challenge juggling spinning lots of plates Um, and so it's a real treat to have a second member of staff in the department now it makes you realise how well you can use them you know how you can share your your skills and your expertise when you've not had anyone and then you have somebody back you really reassess what value they add and how they can add a different angle on things
0: what would you say is the hardest thing about being a, a single person department
1: organisation is massive because you are constantly not only trying to build a really strong music curriculum at the same time based on the students that we have here we have a lot of instrumentalists who play outside of school um, because we have a fantastic music service here in Kingston so they play regularly with the orchestras the training bands the jazz bands and it was about trying to draw them in to a school music making environment when they already had such great opportunities outside of school So being able to plan a rigorous and challenging curriculum whilst at the same time planning concerts and different school events that involve music by yourself. You just have to be so incredibly organised and also actually not take too much on all at once. You have to really manage your, your workload because ultimately if you're not taking care of yourself, then your output at work is going to be rubbish. So it was really about managing how I was feeling, what I felt like I could cope with. And I was really well supported by SLT in that respect. Having time off timetable to prepare for the concerts um, makes a huge difference if you are there, approachable and you can say, I really need this. And the the proof was in the fact we have really, really well attended concerts year on year and we're just growing and growing, which is great. So remaining optimistic, but realistic at the same time.
0: So what kind of things do you do at Key Stage 3? What kind of topics, what kind of uh, musical areas do you study?
1: Well, we try to be, I hate to use the Ofsted words, but we try to be broad, but at the same time adding plenty of depth. When the students arrive in Year 7, I think as is often the case with so many colleagues at secondary level, you're not necessarily totally up to date with what they've done in Year 6, whether they've done any music in Year 6. So we do try to get a snapshot of where they're up to, fairly early on um, through kind of informal listening tasks that sort of thing and then as quickly as possible getting involved in practical music making and using the practical music making to lay those foundations so constantly referring back to the elements of music and just getting them used to working in groups and being quite self-sufficient because I think in primary school sometimes it's very much teacher-led and we're fortunate enough now in um, our purpose-built department which we got hold of in September, to have five really amazing practice rooms, which we're trying really hard to make the most of by letting them get in there and get involved. My advice would always be with year seven though, is make your groups, never ever allow them to group themselves (laughs) because it normally makes for some kind of social crisis. Moving on from there, when we go into year eight and nine, actually we spent quite a lot of work at a school recently working with a lady called Christine Council, who's an educational consultant, but really focusing on this idea of cultural capital, which I know, again, is a very in-word at the moment, or in-phrase, but working out how we can build the links and what we call schema between the different subjects. And music's really great for that. So, for example, in Year 8 at the moment, we're doing a, a scheme of work on Elgar, so we're looking at the Enigma variations, but we're linking it up with the idea of codes, And the fact that there's all of these, you know, potentially kind of hidden meanings in there. And then kind of looking at the historical context as well, because there's an awful lot we can say about Elgar in terms of his path to success. Um, It was an anecdote when I was teaching them. but I said, oh, he used to be on a £20 note. And they thought that was absolutely fascinating. So it's kind of what I've realised, certainly in the last couple of years, with the work with Christine as well, is that if you can link it to things that are almost nothing to do with music... They see the value in it and they invest and they want to be a part of it. Um, Likewise with Year 9, we've done a really great scheme of work recently on protest songs using the resources that Amnesty International created a few years ago now around blood diamonds and child soldiers and things like that. And actually, it's a great example of working with your colleagues and seeing what they've got. Um, My colleague Craig pointed out that there's a fantastic performance from Katy Perry at the Brit Awards from Chain to the Rhythm where they've got these puppets that are skeletons and the inference in there in terms of it being almost like a protest song. I had never realised that and I've been teaching that scheme of work for a couple of years now. So some fresh eyes on it made a huge difference. So I think a successful Key Stage 3 scheme of work has to have practical work in there but there also has to be a balance. I think you have to encourage the children to try and take risks Particularly compositionally, because they're quite afraid of it being wrong and putting pen to paper, as it were, but also drawing the links, anywhere you can find the links.
0: Do you have um, a favourite Key Stage 3 scheme of work, one that you cannot wait to get onto, or maybe it's one that you haven't started yet and you're, you're really excited to do? Which is the one that kind of really fires you up?
1: We have one that's sort of centred around ostinato, and we obviously look at the idea of music from West Africa getting the bays out it's just so great every single year to see the students they just love it they absolutely love it and I really enjoy doing that because they feel very comfortable making music together I know a lot of them have done it in primary school and that's where we've had to adapt to try and make sure it's more challenging but I, I really enjoy the practical music making side of things
0: what are the biggest hurdles that you've encountered as a teacher not necessarily in the classroom just generally as part of the job
1: From the angle of setting up a department, not from scratch, there were colleagues who were teaching music prior to my arrival here, but certainly building that Key Stage 3 curriculum, introducing Key Stage 4, and now thinking about launching Key Stage 5, there are certainly times along the way where you really feel like you're up against it. And you feel almost creatively drained because all of your energy is going into trying to create these new and exciting schemes of work at this new and really exciting school. And sometimes you just find yourself totally drained of energy and thinking, is this ever going to get any easier? For example, I was by myself. It was a new school. um, My commute was longer. All those small things packed together meant that you'd get to the end of the day and you'd think, oh my god is it only Tuesday <laughs> if anything that's taught me that you have to be patient it's it's a slow burner it really is in terms of building up that culture and I am so incredibly proud of what we've managed to achieve here in a relatively short space of time music is so important you know and I know it's back in fashion again <laughs> which is great
0: wise words here <laughs> Yeah, oh, fa- absolutely fantastic thank you and just finally Your Desert Island disc, you have one track, one piece of music, one record that you're able to take to a desert island. What's it going to be?
1: So hard, so hard. The precursor is, I asked my Year 11s what they would do today when I I thought this was coming, and I said, what would yours be? And I think I ruined their days because (laughs) they couldn't think about anything else the rest of the day. Um, For me, it's actually a piece of music that I came across it in its original form ages ago. Um, Because my first instrument was piano. And it's the second movement from Ravel's Piano Concerto in G. However, I recently discovered a reimagining of that second movement performed by Herbie Hancock. And it's a jazz improvisation. And you feel like he's just kind of freestyling all over it and just going all sorts of really amazing directions. And he'll play chords and just think, oh my God, that's amazing. And then all of a sudden the orchestra comes in, just like it does in the, the original version And the way the two styles so seamlessly just fall in together like that, it's just magic. It's nine minutes of bliss. It's from his album, Gershwin's World. Cannot recommend it enough. It's amazing.
0: Many thanks to Celia Carter, Head of Music at the Kingston Academy. And if you'd like to tell us about your own music department and the work that you do, then please do drop me a line. Media at musicteachers.org. So next we've got a little bit of CPD and it's on an area of key stage four and five qualifications that can cause quite a few headaches for students and teachers alike, essay writing. So here's the head of music at the Windsor Boys
2: School, James Manwaring, with some great advice. If you are anything like me, you are probably always looking for new ways to approach the A-level essays or the GCSE essays. One of the analogies or ideas I like to use is linked to Match of the Day. I'm sure you've all heard of the programme Match of the Day. Most Saturday nights, Gary Lineker and a team of football pundits will grace our screens and analyse a range of football matches. It's a great way to catch up on the scores, find out what happened, and more importantly, find out why it happened. I always say to my students that if Gary Lineker were to simply sit and tell us the scores, say that this team played and scored this goal and this team played and scored this goal, it wouldn't be a particularly interesting programme. What we like to hear is some analysis from Gary Lineker, from Ian Wright, from Alan Shearer. We don't just want to hear what happened. We don't just want to hear facts about the matches. We want some analysis. We want to know why did Tottenham lose? Why did Tottenham win? Why did Tottenham draw? Why are Tottenham not playing very well at the moment? Yes, I support Tottenham. We don't just want little bits of information, and we aren't necessarily too worried exactly what second something happened, but we do really want to know why something happened. Did they lose because they were down a player? Did they win because they got a penalty? We need analysis, and Match of the Day provides us with that analysis. And so I get my students to think about this when they're writing their A-level essays or their GCSE essays or in fact when they're explaining anything to do with music. I say to them that they don't just present the facts, they don't just say the melody is conjunct, the tonality is minor, but they try and say why. Why did the composer choose to use a minor tonality or a compound time signature? Why does it sound the way it sounds? What effect does the percussion have? What effect does a particular chord have on the piece? We don't just want our students reciting facts, listing things that happen, just as much as we wouldn't want Gary Lineker just to go through a match saying, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, and then the whistle was blown. What we want from our students is to give an overview, give some analysis, explain what goes on in a piece. And this is why bar numbers really aren't hugely relevant. What examiners want is for students to explain the music, to bring it to life, to relate it to the context, both historically socially and culturally. We want true analysis and possibly the best example of this is Match of the Day. And if you haven't ever watched Match of the Day then maybe you should try it tonight and as you're listening to Gary Lineker explaining the scores of the day think about your A-level students, think about their essays and explain to them that if they give the analysis then they will get the marks and they will get the grades that they want to move on to their future destinations.
0: Thank you to James Manwaring there for some invaluable pointers. And
2: James also runs an excellent music
0: education blog full of brilliant advice and thought-provoking articles that I highly recommend. You can find it at manwaringmusic.blog. Loads of great stuff on there and definitely worth a visit. And now on to the last feature for this episode. One of the biggest names in classical music and a music education is that of violinist Nicola Benedetti. The Benedetti Foundation is doing great, great things for thousands of young musicians. And in 2020, they're running the Benedetti Sessions. This is a whole series of weekends full of music making for young people, focusing on general musicianship as well as string playing. The sessions in Glasgow and London have now happened, but places are still available for the weekends in Dundee in March, Antrim in May, Manchester in September, and Saffron Walden also in September. I met up with Nicola as she launched the series alongside two of her workshop leaders, Lucy Drever and Elsa Bradley. Elsa told me about some of the work that they do during these weekends.
3: Hi, I'm Elsa Bradley. I'm a freelance percussionist based in London and I'm involved in the Benedetti Foundation in the general musicianship team, which involves three leaders, um, each with different skills, mostly singing, kadai specialists and rhythmic influence. And we run lots of workshops uh, across the weekends based in Scotland, England, Northern Ireland and Wales through the Benedetti Foundation.
0: And could you tell us what you'll be doing at the Benedetti Foundation weekend coming up?
3: So the general musicianship team, we're a small part of uh, the whole weekend, but we often include mass workshops for everyone that's involved, so that's like the hundreds of children and also adults, that um, teachers that are involved. We do lots of singing, we do lots of rhythmic, focused games and exercises, so sometimes they're really silly and fun, sometimes they're quite focused and quite challenging, and really trying to solidify the concepts of pulse, rhythm and pitch, so that they, whether they're beginner level or extremely advanced level, they're really homing on these skills that often get overlooked past the very, very initial stage, but are actually the I believe the core building blocks of, of good musicianship um, whether you take that on to an advanced level whether you just have it as a, part of your couple of years of instrumental lessons or music making um, or even just you know, singing and playing along in, in a karaoke bar it's a real central part of musicianship and can take you as far as you want or just enjoying music as a recreational activity
0: and what kind of activities or games or things do you do with the groups you're working with to reinforce pulse, rhythm and pitch?
3: So a lot of what I do personally is, because there are hundreds and hundreds of them, <laughs> we do um, body percussion. Sometimes we start with it just being vocal percussion as well, so it's lots of syllabic um, syllables and um, phonetic, so getting across the words and when you can call and response to get them to initially learn it, getting them to repeat it lots, because sometimes they can do one or two but they don't have the stamina to continue and I think that's something that um, can get overlooked because it takes a lot of time basically. So we get used to them doing maybe things through words first and then into body percussion. It might be also exercises and games where we have to challenge the mind so if we're playing a repeated number of quavers for example like eight we have to do a pattern where we take one away each time we do a round so they're challenging. Um, can go down or can go up depending on the level Um, adding in, taking away some of the numbers or exchanging them for actions or sounds so they're really, we're trying to push them as far as they can mentally and sometimes it is quite fun because obviously like we get it wrong as well sometimes we do lots of singing as well and uh, particularly when we do the singing we're emphasising their awareness of pitch we could do lots of kadai as well so they're learning some basic solfege and lots of um, canon so they're really learning to trying to solidify the three elements of pulse, rhythm and pitch in different sections because especially in the weekend we do these mass workshops but then they go off and do quite extreme focus sectional work and then they come back together in a larger collective and they can really get into the nitty gritty of their sectionals but I want them to have a full awareness when they go back into the bigger groups they know how their little bit fits with everyone else whether that's a soloistic part, or just an integral, you know, uh, middle part that's f- functioning, and I want it to be really tight rhythmically, and let them be aware of it rather than just someone saying, "Oh, that sounded really good." Like I want them to know why it sounded good, or if it felt good, because they were aware that a section, you know, a hundred meters across the stage, they were totally locked together. So, we, yeah, we do lots of different exercises and games to try and make that that awareness greater, so that they don't just think, "Oh, I did well, but I don't know why." <laughs>
0: great it sounds like it's important not to underestimate what young people can do
3: yeah totally you can overlook it and you you constantly get surprised we try and ask them lots of questions we get them to also lead things so we lead a an exercise a game or teach them a song or teach them a rhythm and perhaps when we go into canon into different sections we'll get the children up or young people up to lead their sections because they're so capable of doing it and we don't give them that much credit and they offer lots of fun advice. We get them to think of actions or come up with words as well if we're doing some songwriting to try and get them to lead it so they get that sense um, and build their confidence or exercise the confidence that they might already have as well.
0: Elsa Bradley, one of the workshop leaders in the Belladetti sessions. It was also great to chat to Nicola herself. So Nicola, thank you very much for giving us a, a few minutes of your time.
4: Thank you so much.
0: You said in your speech that you want to empower teachers. Could you explain why this is important?
4: I just think people teach better when they feel comfortable with themselves and they don't feel like left, right and centre, they're being shot down and put in a box. Everyone has parts of subjects that they're passionate about and that they're comfortable being passionate about. And, of course, you have a curriculum that you have to stick to. Of course, there is a whole load of requirements of every teacher but I just think that for all of us if we are more comfortable with ourselves we are better versions of ourselves I think if there is an area where that can be inhabited most successfully in education surely it should be in the creative arts
0: How important would you say early years I suppose I mean pre-secondary school music is and what are its current weaknesses and what can we do about it
4: Early years are the times when children are actually at their most creative. I think we are at our most creative, inventive, no inhibitions. We'll try anything and everything. And to capitalise on that within oneself, like to be able to actually explore your imagination, to be able to see the things that you conjure up in your mind actually turn into something, whether that be a story or whether it is a piece of music or whatever it may be. The problem often is that when we talk about music education, there's so much technicality involved in music education, like learning to play an instrument is so technical and so complicated and so difficult that actually we forget to embrace those parts of a child of their imagination and their intuition and that just fanciful, incredible part of their personality. And I think music education could do a a lot better in combining the two. Yes, you want some challenge and some grit in there, but you also want plenty of embracing of the imagination and of the creativity of the individual.
0: Great. Thank you so much. I need to tell you, you've given me a new mantra for my own teaching, which is, if you don't make mistakes, you're not trying hard enough.
4: Great. I'm so happy you took that on board. <laughs> That's a motto. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much.
0: Many thanks to Nicola Benedetti there. And Before we finish up here, I've got a couple of parish notices for you. Firstly, as I'm sure most of you are aware, this year marks the 250th anniversary of the birth of Beethoven, pretty important musician by anyone's standards. As such, there's a new wealth of material being produced by the UK's three classical music radio stations. Classic FM has launched Beethoven 250, a hugely ambitious year-long series of programmes every Saturday night at nine o'clock, hosted by John Suchet. Radio 3 has Beethoven unleashed numerous programmes dedicated to the great man, including a recreation of the infamous 1808 concert. And I have it on good authority that Scala Radio is also planning a series to introduce listeners to the life and works of Beethoven. So plenty for us to get stuck into and plenty to direct students to if Beethoven is part of your various lessons. And of course, coming up very soon is the Music and Drama Education Expo. It's back in London on Wednesday the 4th and Thursday the 5th of March. As before, it's at Olympia London in Kensington. It opens at nine o'clock each morning, running till five o'clock and half past four, respectively. It's free to attend. There are 60 free CPD sessions and over 140 exhibitors from all aspects of music education there. From sheet music to tours, from early music to ocarinas. Full information is available at musicanddramaeducationexpo.co.uk. And And of course, the Music Teachers Association will be there too. Please do come and say hi to us. And of course, consider joining if you're not already a member. Full information about the MTA is available at musicteachers.org or by emailing us, media at musicteachers.org. MTA membership costs just over £60 a year and you get a whole load of benefits. The Music Department directory, the Termly magazine ensemble full of interviews, advice and brilliant resources. And of course, there's the annual conference, which this year is on Friday the 15th of May to Sunday the 17th of May. And it's going to be at St. Paul's School in Barnes, southwest London. As part of it, there'll be 26 practical sessions, talks and CPD, delivered by the likes of Howard Goodall, Susanna Eastburn and Jimmy Rotherham, as well as invaluable networking and, of course, the Black Tie Dinner on the Saturday night. Don't miss that. Early bird tickets are available until the 13th of March, so do visit musicteachers.org to find out more and to book your place. I guarantee you will not regret it. If you'd like to be featured in this podcast, then please do email me, Patrick Johns. The address is media at musicteachers.org. Thank you for listening to Teaching Notes, and Music Teachers Association's podcast, and be sure to catch the next edition next month. Till then, goodbye.